Well, good morning, Arbor. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, this morning, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to just jump right into it. We got a lot to cover today when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're just joining us, that's where we're at. We're in the middle of a series called The Holy Ghost. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And we've said from the very beginning that the goal of this series, because in every series we want to try to move us somewhere as a congregation, uh, but the goal of this series is to bring a biblical understanding uh, of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of, and there's a reason again, um, that we as Arbor Church would experience more of him, that you and I would experience more of him as a result of diving into this. And so the first week what we did is we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. And we said this, we said that the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's not an it, right? He's not a force. He is a person and he's not just a person. He is a divine person. He's the third person of the Holy Trinity, which means that the Holy Spirit is God. And probably the best part of it all is that our God wants to help us. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. The following week, week two, we talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit. We said that on the day of Pentecost, uh, things changed. That promise was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit was with us always at that point in time. The availability of the Holy Spirit to come inside of us. We said that he comes after us. He comes inside of us and he comes upon us. One baptisms, many fillings of the Holy Spirit is what we said. Last week, my buddy Pat came and he talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the produce of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today I'm excited because we are going to talk and we're going to conclude this series on the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just the power, like all oh, the Holy Spirit is powerful, but his power working through us. And what does that actually look like? And so I want to start this morning off with a quote from a pastor. Uh, his name is Francis Chan. He wrote a book called Forgotten God. It's a great book. I suggest you read it about the Holy Spirit. And here's what he had to say. He said, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know I could not be doing this on my own power. I want to live in such a way that I am desperate for him to come through, that if he doesn't come through, I am screwed. That is what Pastor Francis Chan had to say. I love how raw and authentic he is. And inside of his book, he said this. He says that he believes, and I agree with him, that the greatest unused resource of power in the universe is the Holy Spirit. It is not the wind. It is not the sun. It is not Niagara Falls. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the most untapped natural resource of power that we have in our lives. And so let's look at Acts 1.8 uh, where it is documented the words of Jesus. And here's what he said. He said this to his disciples. He said, but you, talking to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we talked about that word uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, upon you means to outflow, the overflow of, the overflow of power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power power. What's crazy is that Jesus is, this is actually given, this is written in Acts 
But Jesus is referring to something and talking about something that he said in the Gospels. This happened at the same time. It is where he gave the Great Commission and he said, wait. First he said, go, but before you go, you need to wait for power to come. And that word power is actually dunamis, which means inerrant power, natural residing power, the miraculous explosive. That's actually the explosive power of God. It is where we get our word dynamite, dunamis. Now, growing up, you all know, most of you know, I grew up in the country. We had dynamite growing up. It was in the garage. I knew where it was. Probably a little, not really wise of my parents to just leave it in the garage. Um, and so we had it. And to prove it to you, uh, first service, I couldn't believe this. I forgot the video, but I have it for you, second service. But look at this. This is the very first video of me in my life. This is me, the first shot that we have of me. Yes, very cute. Very, very cute. And so what we did is we're clearing our property in Eatonville. And, and that's my grandpa on the cat there. And every once in a while, you experience the, uh, a stump that is in the way that you cannot take out with a cat. This is what we do in Eatonville, my friends, right here. Dynamite. That's how I grew up. That was my life. And I loved it. Now, this is amazing. This is the best shot ever. This is my dad. That's, uh, that's my dad. So he's so young and so thin. It's, this is crazy. But here's my dad and me. Right there, I love this, so good. But my dad has talked about this situation, this story, when my grandpa came over. And the story is this, when we first got the property out in Eatonville, um, he was so excited to have his own ground, his own land. And so he went out there the weekend before, and he brought his axe, he brought his chainsaw, his machete, and he started to clear the land. And he spent two days out there, the whole weekend, from beginning till end, just killing himself, dropping trees, cutting branches, moving everything to the side. And then the next weekend, what he says is that my grandpa came over, as you saw, with the cat. And what took him two days to do uh, by himself with all of his effort, my grandpa did in 20 minutes with the cat. And here's my point, and this is huge. We have access to a cat. And yet, we can try to live our life on our own power with a machete, with a chainsaw, with a hatchet, and try to work, 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 and get this thing done. When we have access, our next, our neighbor, our relative, the one who lives inside of us has more power, and we just don't tap into it. You know what I mean? Dunamis, dynamite, power, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, we have to remember who Jesus was talking to when he said this. I already told you, it's the disciples. And the disciples, who are they? They, they don't get much right when it comes to following Jesus. In fact, they were messing up left and right. You never heard Jesus say, well done, you guys. Wow, you blew me away on that. That was great. What great faith. He said that to a Roman guard, but he never said that to his disciples because they were always arguing over who's going to be the greatest Right, Peter's putting his foot in his mouth. He denies Jesus in front of a servant girl. Everyone deserts him, or like deserts him when it comes to um, him when he was arrested. And then they're cowering inside of a room later, just trying to hide from the Romans. And what's nuts is that these are the ones that Jesus selected to build the church. Right? Somehow that ragtag group of people 
brought us to this point today where we sit here and we celebrate and we praise the name of Jesus because they did something. And it seems impossible. It doesn't seem like they're the same people, and the truth is it's actually not. How did that happen? It's the Holy Spirit intervened. Two things basically happened after that. One is the resurrection of Jesus, for sure. But two is that the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, and because of that, giving the disciples words to say, Scripture to recall, people to point forward to. It's the extraordinary, explosive power of the Spirit working through men and women. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, my natural question pretty obvious. What kind of power, right? Because what kind of power are we talking about here? Is it power to charge a phone? Because that would be awesome. I would love to just hold my phone and that it charges my phone automatically. Wouldn't that be amazing? Power to charge a car battery? That would be amazing, but that's not the type of power. So what type of power are we talking about here from the Holy Spirit? And the Bible is very clear. And so let me give you the ty- what, what, what kind of power we're talking about. When the Holy Spirit is in you and he's flowing out of you and he's working in your life and working through you, he gives us the power first and foremost to share Christ boldly. To share Christ boldly. Paul said this, he said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that, and here it is, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Someday you will find yourself, if you have not found yourself in this situation already, where you're talking with someone and the topic of Christ comes up and they want to know what your thoughts are. What is it about your life? What do you think about all this? And you think to yourself in that moment, well, I didn't go to Bible college, right? I'm not a pastor. I'm not adequate enough to answer this. But if you are a Christian, You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And that Spirit comes alive in moments like this. Truly, you will recall Scripture you didn't even know that you memorized in moments like this. Words will come that you're not sure where exactly they're coming from, but yet you have this courage to speak clearly, and not only clearly, but to speak boldly, boldly, Christ to individuals. It's what the early church had. It is that mysterious, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit gives us power to do is to share Christ boldly. The second is that he gives us power when we are weak. Power when we are weak. Paul said the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in a place where you feel Weak. The Holy Spirit is inside of you to give you power for just this type of occasion. He is working inside of you to help you in your weakness. Percy, my son, and I, we wrestle a lot in the house. Uh, He loves to wrestle. And what's really great is that I love to wrestle him too, and so I allow him to win. And my son believes with all of his heart that he is stronger than me. I told him, I've told him at bedtime when he said, Dad, I'm stronger than you, right? And like, well, actually, son, like, no, Dad, I'm stronger than you because I can do this. Watch. I'm like, okay, well, that's great. I purposefully, like Christ on the cross, make myself weak, right? That's what Christ did for us. So that in 
my son's weakness, he will gain confidence and strength. And in his weakness, he is strong because he's growing in confidence as a person and as an individual. It works the same way when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He is wor- I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is weak, but Christ did lay down his life for us that we would be strong through him and through his spirit. It is that mysterious, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect. Other translations say complete, accomplished. It's made perfect in weakness. Paul continues, he says, therefore I will boast, I will brag, I will declare all the more gladly about my weakness so that, and here's the purpose, Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Holy Spirit gives us power to preach Christ boldly. He gives us power when we are weak and he gives us power to hope in a hopeless world. Paul again, lots of scripture today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. This is not just fleeting happiness. This is all joy and all peace, peace that passes all understanding. May he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow. You may be overrun with, flooded with hope. And how is this done? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Someday you will find yourself in a state of hopelessness. So many of us have sat in that place. When we look out at the world, when we open our phone or open our computer and we take a look, this world is pretty dang hopeless, is it not? There's so much going wrong. But yet when you have God living inside of you, when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the limited hope that we have on ourselves we can tap into the unlimited resource of hope through him because of what Christ has done, because of what our future involves and entails. It is that mysterious, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. It is supernatural hope. And so the Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. The Holy Spirit gives us power when we are weak. The Holy Spirit gives us power to hope in a hopeless world. And probably the most important, and it's not probably, it is the most important. The Holy Spirit gives us power to experience the fullness of God. The fullness of God. And you might ask, well, what in the heck is that? What is the fullness of God? Here's what I've noticed. In the United States especially. But what I've noticed is that so many people have reduced Christianity down to a common list, a common checklist of things that we must do. I believe in God. Check. Got that. That's done. And because I believe in God, I might as well do baptism. So that's done. Knock that off the list. I try to go to church. That's on the list, I think, somewhere in there. I try to do my devotions and read my Bible for the hope that I will become a good person. Christianity, let me be very clear, is not about trying to be a good person. That is a byproduct of what we are trying to do. And when we make that the central focus, our lives don't look any different. We're still hurting, still addicted, we're still broke, we're still struggling in our marriage. There's no real faith, no real victory. And then we walk around in life and we meet someone. We run into someone. And you know what I'm talking about. You've probably experienced this before. Somebody 
who has just light in them. There is life. There is a spark. There is peace. There is hope. There's something different about them. It's in their words that they speak. It's in the actions that they do. And it's in their eyes. Like you can see it. And what's the difference between someone who's checking it off the list and someone like that? The answer to that is power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of them, giving them the fullness, access, the experiencing the fullness of God, not just reading about it, not just talking about it, not just debating about God. They are experiencing the fullness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul prayed. He prayed this for the church of Ephesus, and I pray it for us this morning, for you and for our church family. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with what? With power. Through his Holy Spirit, through the Spirit, where? In our inner being, in our inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And how will he dwell there? Through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. This is the best part here. To grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And then Paul keeps going and he says, And I know this love that surpasses, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And here's his whole point in praying. That you, and, and that includes us, not just Ephesus, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God, the fullness of God. Friends, today we can, and in any day for that matter, we can experience the fullness of God. We can experience and have access that spark, that life. It is that mysterious, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And those four things that I just mentioned, most evangelicals, most theologians, most Christians can all stack hands and do all stack hands on those four expressions of the Holy Spirit and his work in our life. But there is another component of the Holy Spirit's power that is without concord or doctrinal consensus. And that is the Spirit's power displayed through spiritual gifts. Some of you have been wondering, when are we going to talk about gifts? Well, now is the time. So I'm going to say ahead of time, please don't write me an email because you disagree, because there's so many people who disagree on the ins and outs of when it comes to gifts. But we got to talk about it. It's all over in Scripture. And so we'll try to stumble our way through the gifts, but let me give you a definition, my definition of what spiritual gifts are. One is that they are the ability given to all Christians to do God's work on earth. They are the supernatural ability given to all Christians to do God's work on earth. Paul writes, now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, do, I do not want you to be ignorant. And that word ignorant is agneo, which means to be uninformed, to not know. It's where we get our word agnostic, those people who don't know about God, not sure what they think about God. Can we know? What Paul is saying here about gifts is he's saying you should be in the know. When it comes to spiritual gifts, you should be in the know. And he continues and he says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. 
There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in everyone. And so what are the gifts? What are these spiritual gifts? How many of them are there? Well, there are three basic lists inside of Scripture. You will find that there are five of them in the book of Ephesians. There's about seven of them in the book of Romans. There's about 13 in the book of 1 Corinthians. They overlap each other. There's different, some of them repeat and whatnot. So the bottom answer is some say that there's about 18. Some say there's 22. I will tell you that, yeah, probably. There's somewhere between 18 and 22. Okay? It's right in there. What is important is that everyone is gifted and that everyone is called to operate in their giftedness. Peter said this. He said, God has given each of you a gift from his, and I love that word, great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And so let's talk through them. All right? This is a pretty standard list. I'll give you the title, and then I'll give you the definition of what these gifts are. We're going to go through them. This might take a little bit. So here you go. First one is this, administration, sometimes called the gift of leadership. It is one who supernaturally excels at organizing and leading people. You may have that gift. There's also the gift of apostleship. This is one who is clearly called to be out on mission, to live like a missionary or a church planter, for example. There's a gift of discernment, one who accurately distinguishes between good and evil. They just instantly know when they're with someone. They just instantly know in a situation the difference between good and evil spirits. There is the gift of encouragement. Now, this is more than flattery or compliments. This is one who speaks truth in love and strengthens others in faith. I asked my wife, and she confirmed that I do not have this gift, <laughs> unfortunately. One I really wish I did have was this, is the gift of evangelism. Some of you have this. I think of Lauren Winters and uh, Katie Winters and Don Pratt. These people, they just bring people along in life with them. It is one who is compelled to share the gospel and bring others along as they pursue Christ. There's the gift of faith. One who effortlessly believes God's promises and inspires others to do the same. There's the gift of giving. One who carefully manages resources and um, generously maximizes their support of God's work. Now, one thing to note on this is just because you have a lot to give away does not mean that you have the gift of giving. I know a lot of people who have very little to give, but yet give on a supernatural level. There is the gift of healing, and this is a fun one. I wish I had this one too. One who sees miraculous and immediate healing in response to prayer. My buddy Dave Peterson has this gift. Ah, I'm jealous. Because he prays and God listens when it comes to healing. He spends a lot of his time in hospital rooms and praying for people who need healing. And it's crazy enough, God listens. Now, God doesn't listen all the time. Because we are still to pray as Jesus instructed. He said, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, thy will be done in this. But I pray, will you heal this person in the name of Jesus? And when Dave prays that, oftentimes, rather than not, it happens. It's amazing and a great gift to have. There's a gift of hospitality. 
one who warmly extends love by providing food, fellowship, and shelter. When I hear about this gift, I can only think of John and Carrie Steve, who are part of this church, and if you know them, they're two of the most hospitable people that you've ever met. If you've ever had dinner with them, my goodness, it is a spiritual gift, what they do. There's the gift of intercession, One who prays intentionally, passionately, and consistently for others. Becky Kelly, Jan Rogers. The gift of knowledge, or sometimes called the word of knowledge, is one who internalizes, discerns, and speaks biblical truth into a specific situation. There's a gift of mercy. Now this gift is beautiful, but very painful to have. It is one who compassionately understands and intuitively comforts those in pain. I would say that they almost feel the pain physically for someone else on a supernatural level. There is the gift of prophecy, which this one is often misunderstood as future telling. That one, you know, and that that can be a part of it. But often, more often than not, it's a message or a reminder. It is one who speaks out loud the heart and the mind of God, often towards repentance. There's a gift of shepherding. (laughs) I don't got this one either. Most pastors do, but I don't, unfortunately. It's one who comes alongside coaches and cares for God's people. You've met those individuals, those who are really good at shepherding and caring. Great pastors. There is the gift of serving, one who sacrifices selfishly and supports to build up the church with practical and necessary tasks. I think of Jared Strid and Pam Vernosh, who have this gift. There's the gift of teaching, one who effectively communicates knowledge and truth to God's people. I really wish I had that. I really do, and I'm actually not even kidding. I don't have this gift. There are people that stand up and speak and they do it effortlessly. This takes a lot of effort on my, I work hard to get to this and you're like, man, you only get to par, man. Like what the heck? So, but there are people who can just truly teach off the cuff in God's word and it's just amazing. There's a gift of wisdom, right? This is a little different than knowledge. It is one who senses God's direction and applies knowledge to a specific need. It's applied knowledge. And then there is tongues, probably the most controversial and yet beautiful gift given by God. It is one who worships and prays in a spiritual language, often with a message for the church from God. This goes hand in glove with the gift of interpretation. One who understands spiritual language and communicates the message to the church. When we were talking through this series, Garrett and I were sitting inside of my office and we were talking specifically about tongues and interpretation. And I had told him the story that I told on the first week about Carlos and the situation I had with tongues and interpretation. And then he told me a story that I was like, there is no way in the world I cannot share that. He told me of a story in 1999 when he went to uh, Brazil and he went there on a mission trip and there was a handful of them and they were ministering, doing street ministry. And there was a gal named Carrie that was a part of the trip with them. 
And after they did their show, after they did their presentation, after they showed the gospel, they had conversations with the people that were there. And Carrie could not speak Portuguese, which is, you know, where they were at. And so she went up and she started to try to communicate with a lady and her friend that were there at the time and watched us what, what, what just went down. Uh, but she couldn't really communicate because she didn't speak Portuguese and they didn't speak English. And so she asked Marco, the team uh, interpreter, to come over, and Marco starts to interpret. So they go into introductions. Hi, my name's Carrie. Hi, and got her name and, and whatnot. And so they have this conversation, and then Carrie continues to speak, and she starts to say that, that God has a plan for your life, that Jesus loves you, and there's a purpose that you're on this planet. And as she's going into this, all of a sudden she realizes, oops, I didn't pause for the interpreter to speak. And it was in that moment that she looked at Marco, who is completely dumbfounded at this moment. Because all of a sudden she is speaking perfect Portuguese. And she's like, there's no reason for me to interpret. You're doing great. You know, keep going, keep going. And so she keeps going. And she keeps talking, and as she speaks, it's coming out in Portuguese. Marco's freaking out at this moment. Marco has no idea. He knows that this gal can't speak a lick of Portuguese, and so he starts calling over other members of the team. Garrett happened to be one of those. So there's about eight people that gathered around this situation and are starting to listen, and Marco's trying to explain what's going on. Garrett's like, what's happening? She's like, she's speaking Portuguese. You know, this is crazy. And so she is sharing the gospel, and Garrett himself says that he is hearing Portuguese. He's hearing her speak this, and he shares, and she decides, I'm going to give my life to Christ. And so um, Carrie walks her through the sinner's prayer, and the moment that she says amen, she stops speaking Portuguese, and it comes out in English. And so now the girl is confused, <laughs> right, that she's speaking to. And so Marco steps in, and he tries to explain. He says, look, this is what happened, Right? God loves you so much that he wanted you to hear this message. You had to hear this message. And so he translated it into your language. She doesn't speak Portuguese, but God needed you to hear that. And because of that, Carrie's entire, not Carrie's family, but the gal that she spoke to, her entire family gave their lives to Jesus that day. It's amazing. It's a beautiful gift. It's an amazing gift. All the gifts are beautiful. All the gifts are amazing. And so what I want to do is, because there's a lot of questions around these spiritual gifts, I want to talk about a little bit about what they are not, as I talked a little bit about what they are. First and foremost, spiritual gifts are not earned. You don't earn them. They are a gift. Paul says a spiritual gift is given. You don't earn a gift, you receive a gift. When you go to a birthday party and it's your birthday party and you're opening up presents, you don't ask them, how much did that cost? Let me get that to you because it's a free gift. It is the same thing when it comes to spiritual gifts. You don't have to work for it or try to earn it. In addition, we don't get to choose our gift. We don't get to say, I would really like to have the gift of prophecy. That would be amazing. 
All the gifts are given at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. Paul teaches us that. He says, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides, other translations say, determines, intends, wills. He decides which gift each person should have. Spiritual gifts cannot be earned. Spiritual gifts are not for the elite few. It's not a sign of spiritual maturity. I remember growing up in the church that we went to every so often, um, there was ladies who spoke in tongues, and there were people who interpreted. And I remember thinking to myself, man, they are spiritually mature. And then as I grew older and I got to know them, I realized, nope, they're not. <laughs> and that's probably mean to say, but you don't, it, you don't have to go and all of a sudden you achieve something and I am here at this level of maturity and then God's going to give it to me. No, it is, they are available to all believers. Gifts are available to everyone who believes in Christ. And so therefore, if you believe in Christ, congratulations, you are gifted. It's amazing. Paul says a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Paul again says later, God in his kindness gave each of us different gifts. Peter says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And so whether you recognize it or not, whether you know it or not, you have a gift given from God to you for the purpose of furthering the kingdom. Unfortunately, the reality is, is that so many of these gifts in the, in, the, in the family of God lay dormant and are never opened and never used or rarely used. Spiritual gifts are not for the elite few. Spiritual gifts are also not natural talent. Right? They're not the same thing. Both believers and unbelievers have natural talents. Natural talents a person is born with. My daughter was born with a natural talent to yodel. And yes, as a proud papa, I have to talk about this. Because tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 4 national television, kids say the darndest things, my daughter will be yodeling of all things. She's being, well, I don't know why we're clapping for that, but that's awesome. So I'm very proud of her, and she's going to be yodeling. This is not a spiritual gift, my friends. This is a natural gift. She had this at birth. We don't know how she had it. We don't know where she got it from. All of a sudden, she watched YouTube, and she could do what they do. It was a natural thing. We all have natural gifts that come from birth, but we have spiritual gifts that are born at our new birth when we step into salvation. And from that point on, our job, our role is to hone them over time and to use them. So spiritual gifts are not natural talents. Spiritual gifts are also not the fruits of the Spirit. There is a difference. Last week, Pat talked about the fruits or the produce of the Holy Spirit. The difference is this. Fruits deal with spiritual characteristics. Gifts deal with spiritual capabilities. Fruits is something that, that one is in the Lord. It's in here. Gifts are something that we do for the Lord. It's outside, it's exterior. Fruits are developed gradually. We gradually grow in love and joy and peace and patience. We grow in those over time. 
Gifts are received instantly. Like Carrie on that day when she was in Brazil and all of a sudden she could speak in tongues. That was a momentary thing. She didn't learn that. She never took a, a lick of Portuguese in her life. It was instantaneous. And so spiritual gifts are not the fruits of the Spirit. This one's big. Spiritual gifts are not the goal. They're not the goal. So often when, when we talk spiritual gifts, everyone's like, well, that's so cool. I would love to have the gift of healing. And I would too. That would be great. I'd love to have the gift of wisdom or the gift of teaching, right? But the gifts are not the goal. It's not like how cool would that be if I had that for me? It's not like that. They are the gateway to the goal. And the gateway and what the goal actually is, is edification. The Bible's very clear on this. It's the edification, the building of the house, the building of the church for the benefit of others is what the gifts are to be used for. And so Paul said, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so, here's the goal, we can help each other. Peter jumped into the conversation. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to, here's the goal, serve one another. Back to Paul. Paul says, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that abound for, here's the goal, the edification of the church. They are given, not so that we can look and say, how great are we? They are given so that we can help each other for the profit of all. The only exception is the gift of tongues, with the Bible specifically says that it is also for the edification of the person that is praying it at that time. Other than that, from our interpretation, it is simply this, that all gifts are for the edification of the church, for moving the church forward, for building the church forward, for the kingdom of God to come here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the goal of them. Spiritual gifts, lastly, is this, is spiritual gifts are not something to be feared. They're not something to be feared. There are reasons why most people fear spiritual gifts. Number one is because they're mysterious. They are mysterious. Let's admit that. We can't put them in a box. We can't contemplate them completely. But gentlemen, when you were in elementary school and you saw girls and they were mysterious, that didn't stop you from pursuing, did it? It did not, right? And girls are still mysterious. Let's be honest here. I, I don't have a clue. They are mysterious and sometimes they're feared is because they're abused. And gifts have been abused. People have tried to fake them. They've tried to um, speak wisdom when they don't have the gift of wisdom. They try to speak in tongues when they don't have the gift of tongues. They've tried to speak, you know, interpretation or whatnot. It's just people have tried to do that from a selfish perspective and have abused it. So therefore, since it's mysterious and has been and will continue to be abused, that I'm going to step back and I want nothing to do with the gifts of the Spirit. But what I'm trying to tell you is that the gift of the Spirit are directly from God. And that what we need to do with them is not push them away. What we need to do is open our arms and our hands and we are to receive the gifts of the Spirit. They're from God, and he is good, and he gives us good gifts. So therefore, we must receive. Personally, my spiritual gift 
And there's a, you can have more than one, but one of my spiritual gifts, as I said before, is honestly not teaching. It's hard for me to do. But one of the things that comes very natural for me, but did not at the beginning of my life, is the gift of faith. And it's not a flashy or fancy one, unfortunately. I, again, you covet other people's gifts. You're not supposed to, but I want to like, heal people like Dave, Dave Peterson. That would be amazing. But faith is this. It's one who effortlessly believes God's promises and inspires others to do the same. When I was younger, and I could prove this to you, but I'd have to show you all that's written inside of my journals, I doubted, doubted, doubted. I struggled. I questioned God left and right. Are you real was written six zillion times in my journals. I questioned, is this whole thing, just prove yourself to me and then I will follow. And what ended up happening is that I ended up deciding, look, you know what, I'm just gonna follow and maybe by faith, as you say, maybe something will come. And something did happen. Something switched inside of me. And, it, and all of a sudden, believing became very easy. It was almost instantaneous to the point that when, when the crap hit the fan in our life and in our world and it fell apart, I had zero questions, zero doubt when it came to leaning on God. And there were people around us that asked, how could you even do that? How could you believe in the situation when you guys, you guys were in? And the answer is, I cannot. It was supernatural faith. It was the gift of faith that we were given. Never did I doubt. Never did I question God. Why are you real in this? No, it was always like God's goddess. And so it's, for some reason, and I'm not trying to brag, we all have different gifts. It's easy for me to have faith. I, I believe God's gonna work things out. And if he doesn't, he's gonna work them out in eternity and I can't wait to get there. It's gonna be amazing. We each have a gift. But the struggle is, and maybe the question is, is what is my gift? And you have to spend time trying to figure that out. It's not just going to come like that, like, okay, well, what's my spiritual gift? Oh, I'm pretty good at this. I, I think that must be it. No, you've got to invest into trying to figure this out. And so here's how you discover, just a quick list of different ways you can try to discover. One is study what the Bible says about gifts. All the information that you need to know about gifts is sitting inside of here. So you need to study what God has to say about it. He says more than just the simple three lists that are inside of there. Number two, ask God to show you your gifts. You've got to ask. You've got to verbalize. You've got to say, God, what are my gifts? I want to know. I want to know because I want to use them for your kingdom. I want to benefit others for them, with them. Number three, you could do this. You could take a spiritual gifts test. They're not always accurate, but they do help you to get on the right track. And so what we thought is you'd make that available to you. And so if you want to, right now, you can literally text 474747, text the word gifts, and we will send that directly to you. All you have to do is text that, and then you can follow the steps and figure out, well, what is my spiritual gift? It's so helpful to know when you're pursuing Christ to know what he's specifically given and designed you to do. And lastly, I would say this, is you do what the Spirit leads you to do. What that means is you got to listen, not just do you ask God, because I think the mistake would be is that we would say, God, would you please show me your gifts? And we wait a good five minutes and like, oh man, he didn't answer. Dang it. Okay, what's on TV today, right? And we jump to that. No, you got to listen. You got to take time to listen. And as he leads you to go do this, say, go step into that. 
And oftentimes through circumstances and situations, when you realize, holy cow, I excelled at this and I have no idea how, it's because God gifted you that direction with that spiritual, supernatural gift. And so listen and pay attention as you go through and do what the Spirit leads you to do. Let me sum things up. Not just this talk, but the entire series. The Holy Spirit is the giver of gifts. We've established that. But what Jesus said in the very beginning when we talked and started this series off is he actually described the Holy Spirit not just as the giver of gifts, but as the greatest gift himself. That he is a gift. And he is a good gift. Friends, if I were to give you a gift today, I wish I could, a gift card that had a billion dollars on it. Let's go with a billion. You know, Oprah passes out cars. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. You get a gift card, you get a gift card, you get a gift card. Imagine, think about it. One billion dollars. How amazing would that be that you have one billion dollars? You could pay off your mortgage. How cool would that be? Pay off your car. You could get a new car. You can get a new house, right? You don't have to work anymore. Done. How many of you would actually use that gift card? It's free. I mean, no strings attached. You don't even have to pay taxes on it. Just, just, there you go. Gift card. How many would you use it? You would all use it. We would. Did you know that over $1 billion every single year in gift cards go wasted and unused? $1 billion every year of gift cards are wasted. Nobody uses them. They leave them in their, they lose them. They leave them in their, their, their um, drawers. They, they keep them in their wallets. They never end up using them. The Holy Spirit is a gift worth far more than a billion dollars. And we have access to him because we are believers. He indwells inside of us. And we have a power source that we can literally tap into because he lives inside of us and he's flowing out of us. It's very clear in scripture. Yes, I get that that sounds like a superhero movie, but it's biblical. It's right here. And most often what we do is we leave the gift, the big gift of the Holy Spirit unwrapped. He's mysterious. He's been abused. Therefore, I don't want to open that. My encouragement, my prayer, my hope for this whole series is that you would open that gift the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you would allow him to move in your life like he's never moved in your life before. Romans 8 tells us that the same spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. The power that overcame death itself lives in here. And our desire would be that we could experience more of that. How crazy would that be? I want to end with this quote from Francis Chan. We started it with him. We're going to end it with him today. Here's what it says. I want to live so that I am truly submitted to the Holy Spirit's leading on a daily basis. Christ said, it is better for us that the Spirit came and I want to live like that is true. I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. Let's pray.